show on the fish stripes podcast i am eli sussman when i was first mapping out this episode i was worried there wouldn't be enough miami marlins news even worth discussing but a pretty busy monday a lot of small storylines and so the timing is perfect as it turns out we're gonna it's gonna be a challenge just to make sure we don't leave anything out among these recent events around the team the threat of a delayed season the official ends of the jordan yamamoto era new jobs for a pair of revered baseball industry veterans. And we're going to finish off with our wish list of players for the team to pursue before opening day. Joining me on the show, the ABCs of Fish Stripes, Louis Adio Weiss, Ethan Badowski, and Alex Contreras. You see, A, B, C, Adio Weiss, Badowski, Contreras. Love how that worked out. Welcome to the show, fellas. What's going on? I feel like he planned it out. He planned it out. The ABC thing. That's a great mind. <laughs> he picked. He picked an A, a B, and a C just for, just for those. Just purposes. for that line. <laughs> so thank you. All you guys have been on the pods already this off season. So audience is familiar with you. You know how this works. And uh, yeah, we'll try to get through this in a sort of timely manner. Starting with the big picture stuff uh, with the 2021 season and when it's going to begin. Uh, at least there's feeling of certainty that there is going to be a season. I mean, that's something that we'll have anxiety about that all of last year, uh, potentially just two weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting. That's the plan. That's the way it seems things like things are leaning in that direction for now. But uh, I mean, just over this past weekend, uh, news broke that MLB, the owners have sent over a proposal to the players association to shorten the season from 162 to 154 games to condense the season, to give up some off days, play a lot of double headers, and um, to expand the playoffs as part of that agreement. It would push back the start of spring training a full month all the way to March 22nd. It would push back opening day about a month to April 28th. And uh, yeah, just a whole lot of ramifications if they did that. But the way things are set up right now, um, they don't have the authority to just push this on the league by themselves. They need cooperation from the Players Association. The latest info that we have is that the players are probably going to reject this proposal. They're probably not even going to negotiate it. They're already like fired up, ready to go, ready to play baseball. They already made their plans, made their arrangements, moved their families down to spring training, all that. We're on the part of the calendar where things are supposed to get going. So what do you think is the right move here for how the league should move forward? Um, You know, it's funny for years they've kind of talked about condensing the season and Manfred has kind of discussed at nauseum about making the game more entertaining. I think obviously the recent hire of Theo Epstein may do that because Epstein, you know, if he broke the curse of, you know, in Boston and then he broke the curse in Chicago, I wouldn't really put it past him to make baseball more entertaining. And honestly, you know what, maybe shorting the season eight games and just for this year as an experiment, the way we kind of saw it work with the universal DH and how everybody seemed to respond positively to that. It wouldn't be a bad thing if we remember prior to Roger Maris breaking Babe Ruth's single season home run record in 1961, they only played 164 games. And obviously baseball was a lot different back then and we weren't in the middle of a pandemic. But, you know, I don't think, I think players would probably benefit from a little extra rest. Obviously this year would be a little bit of a sprint because like you 
had illustrated and like we've seen in various reports that have come out, you know, there'd be a bevy of double headers. You'd probably, we'd probably see the reinstitution of seven inning double headers. Who knows if fans are going to be in the stands. I mean, it's a crapshoot. Do I think, you know, pushing the season back would benefit us? Um, I don't know. I kind of wish we would just have a 154 game season and then just start on time. I don't know if that's plausible. Teams really lost a lot of money last year. And I'm pretty sure that's why the players union doesn't really favor approving this because obviously they're all in the business of making money as are the owners. And they don't know if they want to, you know, go about two years in a row of losing money. I mean, it could further damage the game even more than it was damaged last year with the fact that we pretty much didn't have fans until the world series. I understand what you're saying, like starting off the season on time, but like, what the hell is everybody thinking? Like, why does everybody have to be so greedy, bro? It's always ha- has to be about politics, mm-hmm. right? Why can't these guys just agree with 154, right? Start the season a little bit later. I don't know if it's going to benefit a lot of people. It, it benefits myself as an entrepreneur. Like, I finish a movie and then I could hop into that. Like, amen, that would be great for me. But, like, I'm just saying in general, like, I think it would be cool. 154, a couple more double headers. We get a DH involved. Like, it's a it's a good situation, especially for our team as Miami Marlins. Right now, we got two starting first basemen, three starting first basemen that, that we want to see. We got Cooper, we got Aggie, and we got Lewin uh, Diaz. You don't want to see that guy take rips? Obviously, he's going to start off in AAA. We got more 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 depth this year. We got AAA, double A, single A, rookie ball. You know what I mean? All that's going to get delayed a little bit. I don't understand why it's going to get delayed. I understand we're in a pandemic. I don't want to sound ignorant about it. I'm sorry. But what I'm trying to say is, like, I don't, I don't understand why we're delaying Major League Baseball. In the meantime, you're seeing the Caribbean World Series going on, and you're seeing Team Panama, Team Colombia, mm-hmm. Team Dominican. You're seeing all these teams playing right now. Like, why can't Major League Baseball get it mm. together? Like, maybe we don't have to have fans at the beginning of the season. Maybe we have, what, whatever, a lower capacity. But let's make it happen, bro. Let's, let's leave the Eagles apart. Let's forget about the money. And let's think about the fan base. Well, what does the fan base think? Like, I was one of those old school heads that I was like, yo, don't mess with the National League ball. Let the pitcher go in there. Let him go and butt. But after seeing last season, yeah, it was a short season and all, Dude, do you really want to see somebody go up there and take hacks? No way. You want to give those hacks to somebody that deserves them, like a next up and coming rookie or an old vet. Like that, you need you need more offense to this to this whole team. Yeah, I think Alex makes a lot of great points there, and I think the biggest one is just how baseball just can't kind of can't get out of its own way. And I talked about this on on Big Hall Talk with this Hall of Fame class of zero, where it just they just can't seem to ha- have anything other than the worst PR possible. And, you know, it was such a struggle last year. I didn't think we were going to get a season last year. We ended up getting whatever you want to call what that 60-game sprint was. And, and you know, it worked out, and they got it done. And, I mean, they just squeaked it in before there was a positive test after, you know. And we had a major scare. Was- and we had a major scare yeah. right, right yeah, before and- we got to the World Series. The Marlins, right. remember, the Marlins had the whole freak. Start to the Absolutely. season, then the Cardinals. Marlins, the Cardinals. Absolutely. And and so, you know, they just squeaked it in. And I just think that they just can't get out of their own way with all this stuff. And I think that, like Alex said, the DH worked so well. Who wants, you know, after seeing how the DH went, 
who wants to watch pitchers hit again? You know what I mean? It's so much more exciting, especially for a team like the Marlins, who, yeah, it does have an overload kind of where there's guys you want to get ABs and you can't really get them ABs because of how it how the lineup kind of shakes out to the point where a DH would benefit them. And the other thing is a lot of teams are doing business right now, not knowing how their roster is going to set up. How can teams do business if they don't know whether they're going to be hitting eight guys or nine guys? It's completely unfair to the national league to be in in February, two weeks away from pitchers and catchers supposed to be reporting. And we don't know whether there's going to be a DH, how the roster is going to shake out in the national league. We have a CBA coming up, and when the CBA expires, the DH is probably going to be universal once that new CA- CBA comes into place. So what the hell does one more year where it's DH I know, only and why wait? No, and the other do for do for baseball, except just delay the inevitable. It's like, and why wait either? I mean, I've mentioned that's, this before, that's but what I've been saying for two years now, when they started the negotiation this year, I said. In, when the CBA is coming up, we're probably going to go to a universal DH anyway, so we might as well just do it now and stick with it so that we don't have to do that negotiation when the time comes because there's so many other things that need to be, you know, worked uh, on. I'm going to use an example. Do you remember – a whole episode about that. Remember you get Scott an extra Cousins. player, get, you get an extra player, get paid. You know what remember I'm saying? Remember Scott Cousins in 2011, Buster Posey – got trampled to the plate and they the unofficial you can't um tackle a catcher rule is called the buster posey rule right april late april early may 2015 adam wainwright has like a once a sub two era and he's batting in milwaukee good hitting pitcher i believe he's got 10 career home runs career 200 batting average a solid pitcher um solid hitting pitcher but he tore his achilles i think he was bunting or he hit a little pop fly and he tore his achilles why, when that happened, a pitcher who at the time, Wainwright was at the peak of his powers, you could argue, had he not had the three sub-100 ERA-plus seasons that he had following 2015, he's a borderline Hall of Famer, and we see Buster Posey get hurt. He misses the rest of the season. Wainwright misses an extended chunk of that season. Why then didn't we have a universal DH kind of brought into the league? You also had guys like Matt Kemp and Matt Carpenter who couldn't were literally allergic to leather they could not play a defensive position without making errors and you know looking foolish in the field why did we have to wait so long for this to happen who knows what if Jacob deGrom another guy who in our division is on a hall of fame track record even though he's 32 years old what if Jacob deGrom in worst case scenario gets hurt what if when Jose Fernandez was alive he got hurt hitting at the plate or you know just another great pitcher what if that happens actually what if Clayton Kershaw who if he retires today, he's a Hall of Famer. What if he's batting in L.A. in May and he throws out his back again and that's it because he overswung on a fastball low and inside? These are things that I don't think that are being discussed in these meetings. And again, I don't know. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in these conversations, but these are things that I think are hurting the game. If people love home runs, you know, why are we depriving fans and the new fans that could come in who aren't really, you know, attuned to baseball? Why are we depriving them of that by allowing a guy like Wei Yin Chen that we allowed to get, you know, two at bats a night? We're better than this. You know what I mean? Well, I think all this seems to be tied to the potential expanded playoffs because that's one of the key details in this proposal is this was last year. Obviously we had 16 teams. 
I think most people can agree that it might be a little too generous. And yeah, really the head. ideal number for baseball is more likely to be 12 or 14. We you know we've been having 10 for about the last decade or so, but the number in this MLB proposal is to have 14 and seven per league. And that um, even though I think every, almost everybody at this point, I believe is on board with the universal DH on both sides of the aisle here uh, for whatever reason, um, MLB really insists that before committing to that, they also want to include the expanded playoffs in there as well. But the main constituents that go against the expanded playoffs are the players themselves, um, being the, the line of thinking there being that if we make it so easy to make the playoffs, then these teams are not going to worry about building the perfect roster. They're not going to spend the money to stack their roster as much as possible because they know that being a 500 team is going to get you in every year. And then you can make adjustments down the stretch in the middle of the season, or uh, you, you could get aggressive with the way you build your team once the season already gets going. But the thinking is that by expanding it a little bit further than we already have it at 10 teams for the entire league, that that's going to continue to lower the bar to get in and lower the motivation to, to chase after great players at every single position. And that's really what this comes down to is that even though yeah. I, I, I think what MLB wants to do is they want to turn the, the average fan against the player in this situation saying that, that MLB wants to do a lot of these things in this proposal that seem pretty popular. Um, and really, I, I guess almost every point of this could be something that gets fans excited but the, ma the main thing that the players are concerned about, I think, is that expanded postseason. And if that's going to be a condition uh, that if that's going to be a make or break condition to like make to actually find common grounds on this agreement, then the players are going to continue to fight back and they want to save that battle for, as Lewis said, for the next CBA, which comes up next year. That's something they want to hold off on until we get to that point and then re really go to war over how many playoff teams they want understanding that at the end of the day even though there's going to be extra revenue for everybody as part of that playoff expansion that the players might not get a big cut of that if teams themselves aren't really that committed to be competitive baseball teams don't need any reasons to spend less money that's the problem that i think we have in baseball right now is the motivation to spend less money and if you expand the playoffs like you said eli Teams have that more, and I think we see that with the Arenado trade where the Rockies are just giving away their star player, and I think it exposes so many flaws that there are with the, you know, with the system in baseball right now. You want to talk about the Snell trade, the Darvish trade, what the Cubs are doing, you know, and we can do a whole podcast about this particular subject, right? Why and the hell did the Rockies call the Marlins? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying, man. What are the what what were the Rockies doing? You know what I mean? And and we don't need to give any teams less more motivation not to spend any money. And so that's why I'm nervy about the playoffs. But as a Mar or at, about an expanded playoff, but as a Marlins fan, it does give us a little bit more of a chance. And so you know. There's two Rockies. sides to everything. We could have a whole podcast on that, but Rocky's just trying to make the Cardinals great again. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, they gave them that the deal of a lifetime. 
They also you, gave him Matt Holiday. Oh, no, they didn't give him Matt Holiday, but he was a former Rocky that was shelled off to St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. Matt Holiday went out there, number seven. Yeah. He did, he did all right for him. I mean, as we're. As we're recording this right now, the Arenado deal is official, and that's oh, is it? first reported a few days ago. Yeah. But that's all done at this point, it seems. I wonder how he feels because you know he was upset out in Colorado. He's going to go out to St. Louis, a city that embraces players like him, hard hardworking players. So I he's think it'll be a good transition either. for him. But he's damn. not leaving either. It's the thing of home road splits that, and. Breaking news as well, the MLBPA just rejected the uh, proposal for a shortened season, so spring training is going to begin on time, as expected. You Damn know, you. Eli, this Damn became, it. This, Eli became, this episode became so much more loaded than you could have ever. You thought it was like a slow news Monday, and then all of a sudden we've got more news, and now we're breaking news on on the air so yes we'll pause it right here just to read an excerpt from the statement from the mlb players association uh late last week the players association received the first time this offseason that they've received a proposal from mlb so that's that's a key point here is that mlb i don't know what the hell they've been doing for months and months but they've not had apparently a proposal sense until just right now rob manfred so so mlb the the Players Association, obviously, well, unhappy with the timing of this. And under the proposal, they're just uh, reiterating some of the facts about it. Uh, players would still get play- paid in full for a shortened season. That's nice, but that's they're still not a fan of that. So they discussed the proposal throughout the weekend. And today, the clear-cut result, this is a quote, of these deliberations is that players will not accept MLB's proposal. will instead continue preparations for an on-time start to the 2021 season and will accept MLB's commitment to again direct its clubs to prepare for an on-time start. So there we go. And uh, enough time on that. I want to move on to Arenado trade. Got a lot of headlines. <laughs> Maybe not quite as many for the Jordan Yamamoto trade to the Mets. That getting done here on, on Monday as we're recording got DFA'd last week, uh, it's, and they were able to trade him. That was something that uh, there was Aloha. some concern about whether they'd be able to get anything back for Yamamoto. He was someone that was clearly entering spring training on the outside, looking in at the Marlins Major League roster after struggling oh so much in 2020, after a kind of promising rookie campaign in 2019. In return uh, from the Mets, with Yamamoto going to the Mets in exchange for Dominican outfielder, Federico Palanco, who is a 19-year-old infielder about to turn 20. Um, we're going to go into his scouting report a little bit, but I want to start with Ethan on this because I remember at a time last year, well, in 2019, yep. that we were pretty high on Yamamoto. We got to talk to Yamamoto right before he got called up to the majors. He did get called up, and he, um, he exceeded everybody's expectations <laughs> for his first few starts, really faded hurt his arm, came back from his arm injury at the end of 2019, dominated in his final start. I mean, there were some ups and downs to this, even though it was a really small sample with the Marlins. Um, But yeah, just your thoughts on the fact that they're parting ways with him just three years in the organization after being part of the Christian Yelich trade. Um, Thoughts about exactly uh, what we saw from him and uh, what we think he's going to do with the Mets. Is he going to haunt us for years to come? (laughs) Well, first of all, I just want to say that I was a you know big fan of Jordan's. Um, he, you know, we interviewed him, Eli, and just a great kid. 
um, a great guy. And, and I, it was a pleasure to watch him and I will certainly be wishing him all the best, even though he'll be going to New York, um, you know, to lose one of the guys from the yellow trade, it's not the best PR look, but I clearly, you know, I saw somebody say that, oh, you know, the Marlins don't want to give up on any of the yellow guys, but that narrative clearly has been erased here. Um, you know, it, it's, it's tough to watch these guys, you know, when we were doing earning their stripes and that was really kind of like the height of when I was following the Marlins farm system. And, and Yams was one of the guys that we were talking about all the time because he was so great in Jacksonville that year um, to the point where we called him up um, and, and it was a very, you know, surprise call up, but I, you know, like you said, Eli, it was really kind of a roller coaster um, for yams up at the big league level. You know, he, he was great out of the gate when he first got here, he had, you know, a few good starts to start it off. And then, you know, you kind of saw the flaws that still needed, you know, work. And especially, you know, he had a really high, walk rate in the bigs compared to the minors um he was giving up more walks and his control wasn't as tight and that just has to do with facing better competition you know i think the mets got a pretty good um depth arm i was talking to my buddy who's a mets fan today about it you know he asked me what to expect from him and you know we know what yams brings right he doesn't throw very hard but he's got a good hook and he can control it pretty well and um he's he's uh, you know I, th I think he can have some success. I hope he fine tunes some things because he certainly needs some molding around the edges um, based off what we saw, you know, this past year. And obviously there was, it was really just that one start where he really just blew up, but things just weren't really the same for him this past year. But I was hoping the Marlins would kind of give it a chance for him to kind of turn it around because I thought he could be a contributor in this rotation, but obviously they see it differently. So you know, I think to pick up anything for a guy that you're DFAing is always nice. And, and we were talking about it before the show and Alex used this term lottery ticket. And I like that a lot for this kid Polanco. Um, you know, he's kind of, he'll be on the edge of this Marlins top 30. I think he'll kind of be a fringe guy, but you never know with these international prospects, what can happen. And he had some really good numbers in 2019 in the DSL. So um, just first of all, obviously wishing games all the best he was a pleasure um you know every all the reporters loved him and said he handled everything with grace and um and he certainly when we talked to him eli was very graceful so wish him the best and obviously you know upset to see his marlins career end in this way bienvenido a miami federico polanco <laughs> <laughs> aloha jordan yamamoto yeah, aloha means goodbye, bye, right? And, uh, means goodbye. Aloha and goodbye. It means, I guess it, it's one of those ones where it can play both ways, but um... I googled it, man. Damn it! <laughs> you had to make sure. You know, the only thing I'm looking at Yamamoto's baseball reference page, and the only a couple of things that may give us cause for concern as to why we may regret this later is he had he did make 15 starts in 2019, and while I don't think he's a pitcher who's going to pitch to 6.2 hits for nine innings over the course of 30 starts you know he did have a whip of 114 I mean and a strikeout for nine of nine four so he was striking out more than batter an inning the home run rate was a little concerning for being as young as he was at 23 the walk rate for um four per nine isn't great but still I mean a guy who can consistently throw strikes and not walk guys you know, his ERA plus was slightly below league average, but 
I think the biggest thing you're going to have to look at is park factors on baseball reference, where you see how pitchers and hitters benefit from playing in a particular ballpark and Marlins park like city field where Yamamoto is playing isn't necessarily regarded as the best place for a pitcher for an offensive player to really shine unless you're John Carlos Stanton and you just kind of defy notions. But, you know, Yamamoto at best could be a back of the rotation starter. We know that Syndergaard's not going to be back until at least June. Could Yamamoto make a few starts and hopefully some of those good ones don't come against us. But, you know, this, he still has a relatively bright future. I'm not going to chalk up his career as a, you know, as being over after that one horrendous relief outing in Atlanta. You know, the Mets, you know, made some sneaky good moves this offseason, not with our GM hiring, but I think Yamamoto may work out well for them. You know, I hope he does well. Let's just hope it's not against us. All right, man, we'll send you a Mets hat. Yeah, right? I think I got one in here, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, so I got my Yamamoto thoughts out of my system on a solo pod that's on the same feed from a few days ago um, that, I mean, my main issue with it is the timing of it. I mean, of course, they had to DFA somebody or trade somebody to make room on the roster. This was the corresponding move to bring in Anthony Bass. I just thought that entering this season where, for the moment, they are so lacking in veteran presences in their rotation that they're going to be cycling through so many arms, I think, in the rotation this year that I thought they owed it to themselves as the Marlins to just bring everybody, all the pitchers, all the rotation candidates to spring training at least, and get some sort of look at them at spring training to see uh, who's out of shape, who's actually healthy, who brought something new to camp. And at that point, that's when you make some of the tough decisions about which of these excess fringy pitching candidates to actually move on from. So I thought, it'd be better if they'd made a move for one of their outfielders or one of their other more raw, less experienced pitchers that they have in there that I didn't feel he was the right guy to go at this particular time. Uh, but just to finish off on him, a couple of red flags with him is uh, I said a lot of positives about him on the pod that I did. I really do think he's going to be around for quite a while. Uh, one of the big concerns with him is obviously the way that last year went, not just the fact that he struggled so much, but that he seemed to, let the opportunity slip out of his hands. I mean, he was a guy that entered summer camp last year uh, as the front runner to make the rotation as the number five guy in the rotation. And he got leapfrogged by Eliezer Hernandez. And I, it's hard to put us in the mindset from back then. It feels like forever ago, but it was a surprise when he did not make their opening day roster last year. And um, I mean, the organization is usually pretty, they, they try not to insult any of their players too much publicly they try to keep that stuff under wraps but they were disappointed with his conditioning they just said he was not ready to physically to be a starting pitcher despite doing it for so much of the previous season and obviously once he got into games we saw that his stuff was um really deteriorated from what it should be especially his fastball velo and so that brings up some concerns about his his work ethic and and all that stuff. Um, and then also something very particular that I found is that the fallback plan for almost all these guys, if you're not going to make it as a starter, we put you in the bullpen. If you're going to be in the bullpen, you're throwing out of the stretch. And if you look at Yamamoto's numbers, he, when he pitches out of the stretch with runners on base, it's, it's night and day between what he is normally. He's actually really effective pitching out of his windup. But as soon as one guy gets on base, this wasn't just last year, but also dating back to 2019, he gives up a lot of crooked numbers. Things really uh, snowball on him when he's pitching out of the stretch. 
And then, I mean, when you're when the average fastball velocity is 92.8 or 93.1 miles an hour, if you're averaging 90.3 miles an hour, unless you're Zach Greinke or Clayton Kershaw or Kyle Hendricks, you're not going to, you know, when you're, when you're not commanding the ball the way he did in, in 2020, you're obviously going to run into problems. Personally, I, I think he, like you said, Eli, I think he deserved another shot. And I hate to continue to beat a dead horse, but I think, if we were going to designate anybody for assignment, I think Lewis Brinson would have been the guy that would have made more sense. He's never had a season of being average offensively. The defense we know is good in seven games, you know, in center field last year, five defensive runs saved. Like that's not sustainable over a full season, but the guy can play defense. He just, he's kind of like one of these, he's like Billy Hamilton where Billy Hamilton's skill was speed. Brinson has somewhat a decent ability to hit for power but he just doesn't hit enough to be able to sustain it at a major league level. And I know that a lot of our eternal outfield options aren't ready. I think Monty Harrison though, could have been a serviceable backup, but without a DH, we're going to have to put Garrett Cooper out there. Who, there's, no way, there's no way you're going to put Gary Cooper out there, man. You're going to have to put him in right field. If you want both of those bats in the lineup though, that's the problem. Not, that's how you and I think if we're going to play MLB the show, but like if you're playing like the whole major league baseball season, it's not going to happen. Like I, if you and me were the manager, which we're not, Don Mattingly is not going to put Gary Cooper out in right field. He's too injury prone. Like it's crazy, yeah, like, it's, but it's not going to happen. Like, wow. And, and like, and, and like, no disrespect, but like, I feel you where you're coming from with like Lewis Brinson. Maybe that's the guy you pick. But why would you come at him? Like, I'm not surprised that the Marlins came and paid Jordan Yamamoto. Like, the Marlins have the luxury, and that luxury is pitching. Like, you got death on death on death on that pitching, like, all across the organization. So, you got to give Lewis Brinson all the opportunities possible. I mean, you traded Christian Yelich for him. You know what I'm saying? Like With Yamamoto, though, he was in that trade. Yeah, but, I mean, you got Isan Diaz. You got a whole bunch of other plays. Like, it's about wins and losses. Like, if you look at your franchise, you look at your franchise, you got to be like, all right, what do I have a luxury of? Right now, I got a luxury of pitching. Right now, I got a luxury of outfielders. Like, right now, I don't know what the hell my outfielder is going to do, but I do know that I got some good pitching. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, look at all these guys that that have been in the Martins organization, where they're at now. Trevor Richards. Uh, you know what I'm yeah, saying, Zach Gallen, all these other guys are all, all across the Major League Baseball. Yeah, I, I agree with Alex here. I just kind of think that Yams was just kind of the, the odd guy out. Um, you know, you look at, at what the Marlins have, and they've got a bunch of pitchers, and they've got a bunch of young arms, and you look at it, and you say, okay, which one is expandable? And I kind of think that, you know, a lot of the other guys have some trade value, and obviously the Marlins got a, you know, a, a little piece here, but um, you know, I don't think that you're going to give up, you know, that a guy like an Eliezer or one of these guys on down the line is the guy that you're going to move on from. So I think that he just kind of, it was just kind of the luck of the draw. And there are, we're so limited on major league outfield options right now that, yeah, I'm not sure you can let a Mont, you know, a, a, Lou, a Lou Brinson walk. Um, especially after what we saw with his improvements against lefties last year. So I just think it was kind of the odd man out and it happened to be yams and, and, you know, and uh, it's unfortunate for, you know, a lot of reasons, but I just kind of think that it's how the cards fell and and, it is uh, what it is, man. It is what it is. All right. Before we move on, Ethan, do you want to add anything on the little piece they got back on Mr. Polanco and what we know about him so far? So, um, kind of tough to find, 
But um, basically the scouting report is, um, you know, one of these contact oriented um, shortstops, you know, he's 19 years old um, from the Dominican Republic. So he's an international signing um, of the Mets. Uh, seems like a speed guy He's still seven. He's got 18 stolen bases, uh, sorry, 21 stolen bases in his career so far. Um, he had seven and 41 games um, in the DSL and, and this really good year he had, he had, uh, he had 331 uh, with a 414 OBP, 472 slugging, a 146 weighted rate runs created plus. That's without hitting a home run. The guy hit uh, 13 doubles and five um, triples in 2019. So it seems like if the ball gets in the gap, he's a real threat with his legs. Um, so he's a left-handed short, left-handed uh, hitting shortstop, and he, he he'll be 20 next at the end of next month. Um, so yeah, like, like Alex, you know, like I said, Alex put it, the nail on the head. I think it's your, your DFA in a guy that is expandable and you get a, a lottery ticket out of it. And if he, you know, he's somebody to keep an eye on and if he really pans out, um, he really pans out, but it seems like it's really just a speed and contact guy right here. If I'm, if I'm the Miami Marlins and I'm Kim Mang, Kim, I know you're listening. Shout out to Kim. Hey, uh, Man, there's so many starting pitchers out in the free agent market. And starting yeah. pitchers, I'm not talking about, like, rookies. I'm talking about, like, vets. Like, yo, there's 11 names that come across my mind. 11 names, right? 11. I, like, I 11 told names. you guys real before. Quick, and, real quick. I said before, <laughs> and choose one guy. Choose one guy that you really want. Like, it, would be cool. it would be cool if we could scoop up. Like, right now, who's the one guy right now in the free agent market that nobody scooped up, that he's expecting a big deal, and he hasn't had it yet? Who is it? I so I don't think he's going to get a big deal, but two years isn't out of the realm of possibility. But I think the adjustments that Trevor Rosenthal has made in the last couple of seasons, I, I for a bullpen that doesn't have velocity, and I see you're nodding your head. No, I, you were close with the Trevor, but you were wrong with the last name. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get Bauer. Why I, not? If you're going to throw, if he, he's not going to get that five year contract, six year contract. We didn't pay Jorge Polanco. I mean, we like, hey, Jorge I know, I know, it sounds like a fantasy or whatever, but like, if he could get it for one year because he can't get that that mega contract that he wants, he can't get a four year contract, five year contract, whatever he wants. Maybe we can capitalize and get a one year contract. Hey, Why not boom. Take, get a veteran like Cole Hamels, who's not going to be expensive. I understand he hasn't been healthy for what? For what? That's like getting Jamie Moyer at the end of his career. They're going to rake off of him. I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather that the, you if know, you the want, carryover guy, if we're going to have a carryover guy before, you know, the younger guys get here, I'd rather it be like a cheap vet rather than really and, paying big and coughing it up for a guy like, like Bauer. And that's where I'm going with this list. I know I said 11 players that we've done with, we've done with Trevor Bauer. I'm going to go to the other vets. I'm let you guys pick like a quick, you know what I'm saying? Like this is that, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Jake Odorizzi. Would you take him yes or no? That's the guy I had written down myself. Right? He's he's coming off a of lost year with some freak injuries. Exactly. Right before that, back to back years. bounce back. He, he's been really steady. He's got one of the nastiest splitters in baseball. Yeah. He's really data driven guy. That's also good at communicating yeah. with younger pitchers as well. Coming over to young staff and being able to to dispense some knowledge about how to design your own pitches, about how to make your whole pitch mix work together. Uh, I don't realistically i don't think it's gonna happen because i think that 
there's going to be enough interested teams that he'll be able to get a multi-year guaranteed deal. And the Marlins are just looking for that stopgap, that one-year type of guy. But he was a specific name that I had written down for sure. I'm a big fan of his. A stop there, but there's so many guys. Though. I mean, we can go Jeff Samarja. I got nine to- more guys on the list. Anibal <laughs> 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 Sanchez. He's on the list. Cole Fires. I mean, Brett Anderson. I got it. Hey, let me finish the list real quick. James go Paxson, Ray Porcello, Annabelle Sanchez, Jay Carrieta, Carlos Rondon, Chris Archer, Julia Tehran, Tejuan Walker, Tyson Ross. That's who I got. Those are guys that I would like roll the dice on. I think Mike Leak would actually make a lot of sense too. He doesn't throw hard, but he's a ground ball pitcher and our defense, you know, Aguiar's not Albert Pujols on his prime at first base, but Rojas is a solid defender at short. I'm pretty sure if Jazz Chisholm gets a lot of the time at second base because Diaz, I still think, needs some seasoning. And you have Ryan Anderson at third. A guy like Leak who induces a lot of ground balls could benefit from a big ballpark and a relatively solid defensive infield. I mean, why aren't we mentioning Chase Anderson? I'm surprised nobody signed Chase Anderson. I think Chase Anderson is a solid number three or four starter. Gio Gonzalez from Hialeah. I'm not sure why we never entertained the idea of bringing him on. I know these aren't guys who light up the radar. As a specialist or what? I mean, Gonzalez can kind of be your swing man. But even then, for a a starting rotation where, you know, we know three spots are going to be filled. To have some form of certainty also, I, I mean, I, I know division familiarity isn't like the biggest thing, but Gonzalez had some of the best years of his career with the Nationals. Why not bring him back to a place he know a division that he knows? He also has a career to, I believe his career at Marlins Park is 284 and like 70 plus innings pitch. He's pitched relatively well here. So why not? I mean, there's a myriad of guys. I'm surprised Aang isn't doing what she normally does archer is from florida i mean he pitched in florida for a long time so there's that but he also hasn't been a quality starter for a while i would love taiwan walker actually wrote a piece back in december where i thought it would take two years to sign him because he had a solid season in 2020 although a lot of the peripherals suggest that he got very lucky especially with a fit being near five and, you know, the crease usage of his slider helped him a lot. But, I mean, there's, like you said, Alex, there's a million guys I think that can make sense for us. It's just a matter of Aang kind of opening up the checkbook a little bit and Jeter and Sherman saying, okay, like, get us a stopgap. We need a veteran in that rotation who could kind of mentor these young guys. We don't really have that. Yeah, I her, her tone was a little concerning to me in the most recent press conference when it came to that particular topic. Uh, she was pretty adamant that they are going to get some sort of reliever to add to this mix before it's all said and done. But uh, it definitely seems like they were leaning towards with the all homegrown rotation. And uh, that if, if there was going to be anybody adding to that mix, it'd be someone on a minor league deal, a non-roster invitee. The problem is, as we've seen across baseball this offseason, if you're a starting pitcher, you're getting paid really well, almost all of them. And that goes back to Yamamoto, why he had some sort of trade value, even though he's not even the guy that you see as an opening day top five starter on any team. Even if you're a number six, number seven starter, those guys seem to have value heading into a year where it feels like teams are going to cycle through more pitchers than ever before. It's a depth piece. I mean... Yeah, I mean, a lot of the guys on the market aren't hard throwers. 
Arietta, I believe, is having a, a showcase this week. The Cubs are reportedly attending. I'm sure the Marlins will send somebody out there. You know, he pitched for the Phillies for a couple of years. He knows the National League East. He doesn't necessarily, like, he didn't live up to the $75 million that he made while pitching for Philly. But, I mean, it's, you know, it's never a bad idea. There's no bad one-year deal. He's a, he's a good guy. He's a good guy for the young yeah. guys to pick his head. You know what I'm saying? Head. Like, you're sitting so in the, on the bench with him. You're talking some, like, smack with him. Like, hey, what are you doing in this situation? Boom, this guy just hit a home run after you. Maybe he tells you to plunk him. You know what I'm saying? You don't, you know, I'm a, <laughs> you don't know what he's gonna say. Cerebral. He gives you, he gives you that experience. Like, you know what I'm saying? This is a guy that's had over a hundred wins. What I don't know how many wins he's had in Major League Baseball. That's yeah. over a hundred career victories. Yeah, for sure. And like, it's a young winner. So yeah, like if, if they winner. told you Jake Arriata or, or they told you Max Scherzer is available or Kershaw or Bumgarner or anybody like from the old like generation is available that they'll tell you, hey, you want to bring them aboard. If it's you and me, if it's Jeffrey Loria, whoever, somebody crazy like that, they're going to bring them aboard George Steinbrenner. But like these Marlins, like we're on the fence. These Marlins tell us that, hey, we want to go. We want to go for it. We want to go for the playoffs. But at the same time, like we want to give opportunities to the young guys. But at the same time, we got vets blocking them. So it's like complicated. We're on the fence. I'd give Kershaw hundred million just to sit next to me. I mean, okay. I'm wearing my my all star. Got a hundred million, man. I got something else we can invest in. Trevor Bauer. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you made a good point, Alex. There's a lot of quality starting pitchers on the market. I do kind of agree that we kind of have to go 1971 Baltimore Orioles here and have a homegrown rotation. Not that we're gonna have 420 game winners this year because I don't even know if we're going to win 75 games. Or mid-2000 Marlins. You don't even have to go that far back. Remember the the, the rotation we had with uh, uh, what was it? Ricky Ricky Nolasco, Scott Olson, uh, Dontrell yeah, Willis. Annabelle Who else Sanchez. was on that rotation? Annabelle Sanchez, Josh Johnson. Those guys, all, all those guys had over 10 wins. So we don't yeah. even have to go that far back, really. I, and Mike Fires is a Deerfield Beach guy. He went to Deerfield Beach High School. I know he's kind of got like some very polarizing history with the Marlins, but he's a good major league pitcher, and he, you know, he's a whistleblower too. I know? just feel like, like I just feel like the 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 manager that we had back then was Joe Girardi, and Girardi was like, "Yo, here's the car, the, the keys of the car, make it happen, rock and roll, kids." You know Girardi. What I'm right now, Mattingly tries to care too much about our guys. You know what I'm saying? He tries to protect them and he doesn't stretch them out. And sometimes we're like beefing with Madden. He's like, yo, stretch him out for a couple more years. But who the hell are we to tell him what to do? He was the manager of the year. Girardi's always got the most out of everything that he that he had on his roster. It's 2013 Yankees. You signed Luis Cruz to play third base. You win that game. I mean, you know, we we kind of have gotten away from that with our management stuff. Not to say that Mattingly's done a bad job. I mean, he's the guy that brought the Marlins back to the playoffs. So I'm, he, if I ever own a restaurant, he's not paying for the meal that he's coming in to buy. So, you know, you know, he did wonders for, he did wonders for us, but I don't know. I, I, now I'm going to go fall asleep tonight thinking about what starting pitcher I'm eventually going to get a notification about that we sign because I genuinely wish we would do that. Side note real quick, man, for those people that play video games, I was looking at MLB The Show, and it's kind of crazy. I was looking at the starting rotation from the Marlins, right? The guys on the starting rotation, Sixto Sanchez, Sandy, Pablo, Lilo, Trevor Rogers, all right? 
Who do you guys think has the highest overall rating out of that starting rotation? I know that for a fact. He's the only gold in that rotation. What about who, who do you guys like? All right, Sixto. Right, besides Sixto, eliminate Sixto. Let's say we're in Sixto rookie year because right now it's updated. They think he's the monster. Pop, right. Probably Pablo Lopez. That's crazy. I was looking at that and I thought it was it should have been Sandy. Yeah. Sandy's well, overall ran, overall rainy was 82. Sandy Alcantara, 82. Pablo Lopez, 87. Pablito's my guy. He's a painter. He's the man. He's painting the corners and everything. But damn, come Sandy on, bro. Sandy was an all-star player. It's nice to see him get the recognition that he deserves, man. He's been he's been balling for a long time. And I'm not saying no about Pablo. What I'm saying is, damn, Sandy's in 82. Because it's probably because when you look at the stuff, he's like a better Henderson Alvarez. He just doesn't miss bats for as hard as he throws. And you expect, especially in this day and age, for a guy who can – he's literally Zach Britton with stamina where you can throw a 97-mile-an-hour sinker up there, sometimes 98 to 100, but yet you continuously don't miss bats. And that's not a, a knack against him. I mean, when he lost 14 games and still made the All-Star team that year – I, remember, I think he threw something like two or three shutouts that season. I mean, we saw like, like I'm, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure like the first podcast you and me had with Eli Alex, we discussed the idea of him being somebody that can be a viable extension candidate. But, you know, he's not a 99 overall or at least a little bit higher because, like I said, he just doesn't miss bats. And that can change that. And it changed a small bit. And, um, in 2020, but Pablo Lopez had a 9.3 case per nine. So, you know, right now, at least for now, until Alcantara puts together a full season where he gets more run support and maybe he misses a little bit more bats, I have no problem with Pablo Lopez being rated a little bit higher than Alcantara. There's, he's not to say he's more of a sure thing, but, you know, they're going off of last year. Real quick before I, you know what I'm saying, we keep going. Quick message to the front office. Shout out to Kim Ann. And this uh, little segment is a little message saying from all the Sam, all the fan base saying, Kim Ann, resign Brian Anderson. Kim Ann, sign a free agent. Kim Ann, make a trade for Contreras. Kim Ann, keep bolstering the rotation. And Kim Ann, let's keep making the Marlins a contender. Please, Kim Ann. <laughs> I think she wants to just needs cooperation from ownership too. I mean, I don't, she's been hinting at this too during uh, all of her zoom pressers is that they're, they're looking for deals. Uh, they just, they didn't find the right deal, which usually means that a certain price that the player was asking for, it's not her money. It's ownership's money. It's Bruce Sherman's a little bit of Derek Jeter's mostly Bruce Sherman's money that they've been, I'm sure they've been in contact with like a lot of these players and um you've seen them linked in legitimate trade rumors with wilson Contreras and for andrew benintendi guys that make a decent deal of money for this coming year guys that make six million plus money for this coming year um I, but i imagine that i mean one of the big factors one of the holdups is that you do need that ownership consent if you're going to move forward with these type of signings um we looked on the free agent market as well um so we, we've laid a lot of groundwork. Um, you know, I think, you know, as you go through this, um, 
you know, I think, you know, you, you always want to get better, obviously, but you also come to a point where you have to weigh what helps in the present versus what makes sense in the future. Um, you know, right now we haven't found that right deal yet. Um, but feel perfectly comfortable if, you know, we go into spring training and there's a competition for that last spot in the outfield. I wanted to finish on a positive note. Um, two guys were really happy for that on the same day, announcing that new gigs, side gigs for both of them. Michael Hill, the longtime president of baseball operations for the Marlins, I guess the predecessor, Kim Eng's predecessor somewhat, leading the Marlins front office, um, staying in baseball. I mean, he it was really frustrating for some people to see him strike out when the Phillies had an open job, when the Mets had an open job, the Angels had an open job. So he's not going with the team, but he's been hired by Major League Baseball. He's going to be one of their VPs in charge of um, umpiring, in charge of discipline at the Major League and Minor League level. Uh, so pretty cool for him. I mean, someone He's a baseball lifer in the truest sense. He mm-hmm. played the game, went to scouting, joined the front office, and uh, now going to the commissioner's office, one of the higher-ranking officials there, announces uh, there's actually a big wave of guys that just got hired for this coming season. But he, he's – He's gonna have a. He's gonna be a pretty um public guy for us this upcoming year. You're gonna hear a lot about him, but you don't have to worry about competing against him with one of the rival teams in the division. And then of course to Craig Mish, who's been one of the great reporters on the Marlins for forever, and especially these past few years, just incredible at breaking news and putting that news into context. In addition to the stuff he already does, um, now a senior contributor for the Miami Herald. He's going to be writing a little bit, some columns on their site and in their paper, as well as doing podcasts over there. So, I mean, both of these guys, congrats to both of them. Yeah. I'm really, really, really happy for Mike Hill um, that he got such a big job um, and seeing his name near Rajay Davis's as a, as a Cubs fan as well, really kind of scared me with <laughs> just Rajay Davis just gives me nightmares of <laughs> the eighth inning of game seven, but I'm super happy for Mike Hill and obviously for Mish as well, uh, you know, kind of moving up in the world. He, he, to me, whenever I see something with Mish, you know, in terms of these offseason rumors that we've been talking about with Contreras and Benintendi and deals, you know, his word is kind of scripture for me when it comes to the Marlins. So obviously it was time for, um, you know, a big, big paper or, or uh, you know, news source in Miami to pick him up, pick him up. And I'm happy that the Herald did and him and Barry and um, Jordan, um, you know, make a great team. So I'm, I'm really happy for both of those guys. I think they both got really great jobs and very well deserve. Shout out to Mike Hill, man. Hey, Manfred, damn, bro. What is he, two for two after being like two for 100? You know what I'm saying? He had Ken Griffey. Now he's got Mike Hill. Congrats Yo, to Mike Hill. Why not that? Three for three. You said what? He hired Theo too, so I give him three for one hundred and one. Yeah, but you can't forget about all the BS that he left behind. He left the he There's, he slapped uh, he slapstick is- the Astros, and don't get me started. You know. And uh, anyway, uh, so Mike Hill, congrats to Mike Hill and Mish Dog. Hey, congrats to Mish too. Yeah, Craig Mish is seemingly other than Joe Versaro. Whenever the Marlins rarely made a free agent signing. I got to see Craig Mish's name pop up as the one reporting it. So I thought that was kind of cool. 
And, you know, I love watching him on MLB Network, too. I believe he's our MLB Network correspondent, so it's always good to see him. And, you know, I'll be looking forward to reading what he puts out with the Herald because he always does quality work. Hey, shout-out to Christina DiNicola. (laughs) Our beat writer. Yeah, for anybody that missed that, we had her on the pod a few weeks ago with me and Alex. Long episode, just like this one. Pretty long episode as well. I believe the first uh, joint podcast that Mish is doing with the Herald, uh, they're calling that Fish Bites. That's going to be out also on the same day that this episode is out. So hopefully you listen to this episode first, but I, I wouldn't be, uh, w- wouldn't blame you either way as long as you listen to all of our stuff on your favorite podcast app or wherever you normally get your pods. We appreciate everybody that listens in. Um, Shout out, big all talk. Just want to give me myself a shameless plug on this same podcast stream. Got my uh, ballot breakdown reaction to all the news about the hall of fame ballot. And we're going to have plenty of content coming up with that too. So, you know, listen to every fish stripes podcast. And I got to, I got to sneak on to one of those, Ethan. Say again. Hey, shout out. I got to yeah. sneak on to yeah. one of those pods, man. Those sound, I love hall of fame chatter. Trying, trying to find all, all kinds of content out there. So. Shout out, hey, shout out to Jeremy Tash, too, man. When Jeremy Tash turned up with the Fox Sports Florida. It's going to turn into Valley Sports, all that. You know what I'm saying? And Ethan, yo, don't get me started. This is alley-oop into the next episode. What the <laughs> hell, bro? How did we not get somebody to Hall of Fame this year? And we better get Barry and Roger and Gary in the next one. While I'm do the music, Eli. While we're on that Hall of Fame talk, I just wanted to say, if you didn't already on Fish Stripes, if you're listening, give a read to my latest piece on what this year's Hall of Fame ballot kind of or results kind of taught us about where we're kind of going with the voting. Because I think more than ever, you know, I think things have started to change and we're starting to evaluate what people are doing off the field rather than on field performance as well. So give that a read on fish stripes as well. I put that piece out yesterday and I I think it's something you guys will enjoy, especially if you, you, Ethan, or anybody else enjoy your hall of fame conversations. Absolutely. And and Ethan, who's that next guy coming up on big hall talk that you're going to dive into? Is it Sheffield? So, yeah. So let me just check and make sure, but um, the result, that was dominating really from you guys. You know, I put a poll up um, asking who people wanted to hear. And obviously my account is pretty Marlins oriented. So Gary Sheffield will be next. He won with 47% and then Andrew Jones was next. So I guess I can just kind of go in order here, but uh, it'll be Sheffield and then Andrew Jones, Billy Wagner rolling, but um, haven't really decided about the schedule for that yet. Um, but Gary Sheffield will be the next and first case that we'll be really taking a deep dive into. It'll be Marlin legend who we all hope would be the first Marlin to, you know, first guy to wear a Marlins hat into the hall of fame and could be our best shot for a long, long time. So, uh, yeah, we'll be looking into Gary Sheffield's hall of fame case. You should use this in your, um, evaluation of him. I was looking at this last night. I was looking over the past hall of fame voting results and Edgar Martinez, who, while he doesn't have the cloud of steroids surrounding him, his seventh year on the ballot, as this was Sheffield's seventh year on the ballot, he finished with 43.4%. And we know he wound up getting in, I believe on his ninth ballot. So that may bode well for Sheffield because Sheffield, I believe finished with 40.6% of the vote. Yeah. 40% this year. Yep. With a weak ballot class, I mean, A-Rod and Ortiz come on the ballot next year. If you want to talk about what a weird stage that would be, can you imagine a 
a Hall of Fame day in 2022 with Kurt Schilling, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Alex Rodriguez, and David Ortiz. Well, I don't think A-Rod's getting in first ballot, but it's No, possible. he won't, but, you know, if, if him and Jennifer Lopez continue to appear at inaugurations and Super Bowls and stuff, he may continue to further that uh, repair reputation that at one time I thought was forever damaged. So we'll see, though, but... Yeah, hopefully Sheffield gets in at some point because steroids are not. The dude is one of the greatest right-handed hitters of all time. It's some bullshit. It's some bullshit if A-Rod gets in before Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. Yeah. That's one hundo. Barry Bonds is still the greatest hitter I've ever seen this side of Disrespect, bro. What a spit in the face to all baseball fans, writers, Mm -hmm. associations. How yo, you guys are legitimate or not? Like, how is the best player of all time not in the in the hall of fame? Yeah, how is Roger Clemens not in the hall of fame, dude? This is crazy. How is Sammy Sosa not in the hall of fame? Like, we already like throw dirt at the Cubs. Like, damn, bro. Like MLB, it's all MLB's fault. Rob Manfred. I was Alan. Not even surprised. On the Hall of Fame, there's a million guys that you can talk about that with. Uh, I don't know. Cap. That's a conversation for another day. Yeah. Well, and I guess while we're on the topic, I'm gonna wrap this up now. All right. Uh, We're closing pretty soon on what's gonna be the 2021 class of the Fish Stripes Marlins Hall of Fame. I launched that project a year ago, right after the quarantine, right after the season was suspended. Bro, for God's you left them out last year. Damn. Last last year we we elected. Oh, let me think of the number. I think it was 16 people, but six players. Um, I'll, you'll, I'll put this on the websites to remind everybody exactly what the first class was in 2020. It was a lot of fun. We elected a lot of non-players as well. That was a project I was thinking of doing this year during spring training. Last year, we did it in like March and April this year, moving it up a little to get it out of the way before the real season starts. Uh, but that stuff is coming up soon. I haven't set the final dates for that, but that's coming up soon to get everybody involved so that you don't have to wait a, a full year for the national baseball hall of fame conversation to kick back up again but yeah in the meantime we have big hall talk from ethan from this episode with lewis adio weiss ethan badowski and al Contreras. i'm eli sussman thank you for sticking with us stick with us uh leading up to the start of the season and uh, we'll keep you posted and have more content for you coming up soon on the pod feed on the website on social media thank you so much as always go fish (laughs) 